Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Benker. And today on the show, we have two very special guests, Jamie and Sarah. Now, I think the right way to approach this is to say, Ngata. Ngata, yes. Ngata moa, ngata, yes. Close. Which means hi. It's close, but we'll we'll get it right before the end of it. Um, (laughs) Jamie and Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us, Ralph. So uh, we're going to do a bit of an intro, uh, but I I understand, Jamie, for you, it's customary to do uh, an acknowledgement. So uh, I think you're going to lead us into into that acknowledgement. And why don't we start there, and then uh, I'll go on and do a bit of an introduction about some of the things you guys have been doing. Thanks for that, Ralph. So I just wanted to honour the ancestors of the land in which we're sharing this conversation and pay respects to the ancestors, the elders, past, present and emerging and offer and extend that to yourself, uh, the land in which you're living, the ancestors that lived there and looked after that landscape for hundreds of thousands of years, and to all the listeners as well, extend that acknowledgement of them, them listening in this space and um, their families and their ancestors as well. So, uh, I feel enriched already. I, I find <laughs> uh, I, you have to send me the words. I'm going to learn it and uh, I'm going to give it a go myself. Okay. <laughs> The energy and the rhythm of it really is what's fascinating. And obviously today what we're really talking about is this movement that you've started, Waiapa Work. And uh, the word is really interesting. It's fascinating. It means connected country. And it's a business that you and Sarah founded together. But of course, it's so much more than, uh, than, than just a, a business because actually you are affecting people's lives in a really meaningful way. And... Um, I'm just trying to find my tab over here, which I've actually completely lost. So I'm going to have to cut that a little bit out, but here we go. So uh, what's really fascinating about both of your stories is that you came together to found Waiapa Work. It's an internationally accredited and trademark earth mindfulness connection practice. And uh, before we uh, start thinking that this is some new age fad, what's beautiful about it is that it's based on the indigenous wisdom of living in harmony with the environment. So uh, this, for me, is where the authenticity of it comes comes back in. So, um, well, this is where it's really created because you're combining the ancient earth mindfulness with movement meditation, storytelling, and sustainability. And uh, that's obviously creating earth, mind, body, spirit in a well-being context. But actually, this is the way of life of the indigenous people of Australia for what probably the last 100 to 80,000 years. You've trained over 100 Waiapa practitioners, and you're passionate about helping people reconnect with this ancestral knowledge. And uh, you talk about creating intergenerational wellness practices for a healthier and more connected planet. Uh, you call it a modality, WIAPA, a certified modality. And, uh, and actually, uh, the certification is from the International Institute for Complementary Ther- Therapists. Um, 
and uh, and I think uh, that in itself is is an accomplishment. It would be great to hear a little bit more about that journey. But but Jamie, you are um, a traditional custodian of the Gunai, Kurnai, and Mara people, and uh, and the knowledge that you're sharing is based on your learning from the elders. Uh, but your journey has been an interesting and uh, and long one for both of you. Um, and if I might just kind of set out some of uh, just how you came to, to, to found this movement, um, this modality in 2014, both of you seem to have lives that uh, had a lot of conflict, um, a lot of violence, just a lot of resistance. And um, for you, Sarah, that was a story of domestic violence. Um, for you, and I think for both of you, there was just this uh, overwhelming feeling of being disconnected, and uh, and maybe that's the place to start because you know what does it mean to actually be disconnected, and then on the other side, what does it mean to actually be connected to the planet in the way that you've set out in uh, in Why Upper Work? It's a big yeah. question. That's, that's, I don't know where to start. It's a long one, but it's a great introduction. Um, I'll try and elaborate on what you said there, Ralph. Um, yeah, look, it was definitely a a conversation that you know has, has happened within our obviously our culture for over hundred thousand years. The conversation and the narrative is to look after the environment today, for generations to come. But the more I started to delve into meeting other cultures from around the world, I understood that. Their ancient ancestry was the same as ours was. It's just that further back they disconnected from that responsibility. So it doesn't matter if you're from England, if you're from America, from New Zealand, from anywhere, you know, at one point in time of civilization, uh, you know, going back, you know, 20,000 years, 50,000 years, everybody's ancestors on this planet today live like my Aboriginal ancestors did a couple of hundred years ago, which was in total in tune in awareness of harmony and nature and the environment. And they weren't survivors, they were thrivers. They they knew the seasons and the cycles. They understood their responsibility to look after their environment first and foremost. And if they did that, then they would in turn reap the benefits of that and become well. And I just think that in a modern in a modern day, we're taking ancient culture and we're re- reconnecting people back through their cellular memory, back through their ancestry, back to that responsibility of being earth custodians. And even though, you know, it doesn't matter where I go in the world, even though I've got a responsibility to look after my country where I was born or where my children or my grandparents were born or whatever, I've still got a responsibility to look after the space and place in which I'm living on or travelling on or sitting on because that is someone's ancient landscape and culture. So it doesn't matter where I travel as a human being, I still have that responsibility first and foremost. And that's the essence of Wayapa is about giving everyone that, that re-incentive to connect to their cellular memory to understand that they are just as much as a custodian of this planet as I am. And, you know, going through that journey of attaining on that knowledge, uh, we got to a point where, you know, Sarah, you know, I showed it to Sarah and she can tell her little yarn about it, but she was like, oh, that's, that's a modality. And I'm like, oh, yeah, modality, that sounds great. I rushed off to the toilet and Googled modality on my phone. <laughs> I come back and said, oh, what did you say to practice then? I don't know what that big word is. <laughs> Eating alphabet soup for lunch and throwing <laughs> big words at me. So, you know, that was for me the first time that I could see there was an opportunity to honour Aboriginal Australians' culture and, I guess, 
And it's not a cultural practice per se. It's an earth connection practice first and foremost. So it's about all of us as human beings being connected to the environment to look after it. And then I guess the overlays that you put onto that is then how do you personally connect to those elements? Then obviously the rich tapestry of cultural diversity, you can put cultural overlays and stories on them. That's the amazing thing about it. So of the 14 different elements that we talk about in Moyapa, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, you'll all have your own language name for that word. So you say the sun, someone in Sudan or someone in you know, um, France or someone in Switzerland, they'll all have a different name for the sun. But guess what? The sun's been here for four and a half billion years or longer. And it doesn't matter what you call it, it's still the sun. So it's that, that you know, reminder that we are really as humans insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And it's about reestablishing our, our place back into that ecosystem again, which isn't up here. It's actually down here. And, um, that's why we talk about the last three elements of WAP, or rather the hunter, the gatherer, and the child, because all the other elements come way before us. Yeah, fascinating. I think the what makes it so accessible is the grounding, you know, this idea that these elements that you talk about are common throughout humanity and they are really the basis of all life, yet we can choose to ignore them in a modern life. And what you're able to do, and what we're so fortunate, given that you know the indigenous people of uh, Australia have, uh, well, they're probably you know it's one of the oldest living, continuous living cultures, right? So, what we've actually got is this the, this information, this way of life, that understanding, if, if you like, that's being carried through, and you've been able to take that, package that up. And you have a nice word for it. Well, Sarah does modality. But, you know, it's about those ancient practices. But those practices are nothing other than the basic practices uh, that every culture, you, you know, you've identified somewhere in there. There's this kind of practice, but you have brought it together. Um, and I think what's fascinating is that, the, uh, you know, because the uh, Aboriginal people anyway have got such an amazing presence in uh, in the psyche of of, of everybody. They, you know, they were really, really quite powerful entity. And I do think that people recognise that there is something quite special that connects us to something that's long gone, but we should absolutely cherish it. It's kind of like the koi and the sand. Uh, you know, we we still revere their capabilities because actually they're very different in terms of the environments and the way that they can live their life. You know, when it's very common when a when a sand was locked up in a cell, uh, they could often die in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, one of the things I always think about is that is the difference between being connected and being disconnected. He became disconnected or she and, and, they, and they died. And this was really unfortunate if they ever got captured and, um, and stuff back in the day. So, uh, so this is very much a personal story about your learnings from the from the elders, Jamie. But um, it kind of took somebody like Sarah to look at this, to to give it a name, to give it a label, and to to turn it into uh, something that you can market and share with others. How did that journey come about for you, Sarah? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I've been very honoured to have worked in Aboriginal community since 2003. Um, 
but and you know it's really rich and diverse uh, throughout Australia. Um, and Jamie and I actually knew each other way back um, over what it's got to be now seventeen years <laughs> um, that we knew each other. And um, it wasn't, but you know when it, when I met Jamie and we reconnected um, after my journey um, of. I guess I the reason I knew the word modality was because I'd started my spiritual journey about 20 years ago um, and had tried most modalities um, under the sun. Um, and in trying to define my path, um, you know, I tried everything from yoga to breath work to meditation to mindfulness to Tai Chi to, you know, lots of different things. And all of them had benefits without a doubt. But it was, I was still missing something. I was still feeling that I wasn't whole. I wasn't, didn't feel complete. I just was still searching for something. And, um, and when Jamie showed me Waiapa for the first time, of course, it wasn't called Waiapa. It was just, he just showed it to me for the first time. And, and when he showed it to me, I was literally speechless. I, I felt like this immediate download from ancestors, from my ancestors, from his ancestors into me of going, oh my God, that's it. That's what I've been missing this entire time is my connection to Mother Earth, to everything around me. And it was just a, you know, a phenomenal moment for me. And I knew in that moment that we needed to share it with other people who were also feeling that disconnection um, and share it not only, you know, with, with here in Australia but globally as well because I knew that there would be a lot of people just like me who were searching, who had been searching for something that would tie everything in. You know, I'd done the mind, body and spirit but I hadn't done the earth connection and that's the thing that ties us all together. Um, and understanding uh, that connection. So, yeah, as soon as I saw it, I knew that we had to share it to um, to help other people feel that connection again um, and tap into their own ancestral knowledge um, of, you know, that goes back however many um, thousands of years or generations uh, to be able to know that my ancestors, um, you know, I, uh, my, I was born in Canada, but my parents were Welsh so and lived in Australia for 38 years and um, it was knowing that my uh, Celtic um, ancestors would have lived as hunters and gatherers so I knew that um, you know opening up those that cellular memory I could tap into it uh, in the um, you know in the same way as as Jamie's uh, ancestors do but he just is living They've just been living that a lot longer than what a lot of us, a lot of us have, have been living it for. And so what, what does that, you know, how does that change your day-to-day life? So uh, I, I, I think the thing that strikes me is so many of us can just live weeks on end, not really even interacting with nature, um, especially if you're in a big city, London, New York, Paris, um, of course, you know, there are green spaces and that, but in comparison to 
um, certainly where I live now, which is in the, in the middle of a forest, I always feel that, um, it, you know, that I'm in a very different space. But a lot of people don't even notice that difference. So what are the kind of things that change after they experience uh, YAPA work? And, uh, and, and how, how has that shifted your life? Um, for me personally, it just, it changed everything. I had been living, um, you know, I, I'd been living a, a lifestyle that was very much dominated by, um, I guess, being in that place of, of you know, being a, a victim of um, domestic violence, um, but never being in a space that I felt belonging um, or connection. I was always searching for something, as I said, and and that was in the form of, you know, I would... Um, be, you know, alcohol was a ma- major way of numbing that pain for me. Um, you know, I was, you know, doing all sorts of, you know, prescription meds and um, recreational drugs, anything that would make me feel like, you know, better or connected to other people. Um, you know, whether it was going out to the pub and, you know, having drinks all day and thinking I was, you know, feeling connected, but I'd still go home and feel this real sense of, but this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel, I still feel really, there's this void deep inside of me that just nothing is ever enough. And, um, you know, and I think that there's a lot of people who experience that, that try to numb that through drugs, alcohol, retail therapy, TV, binge watching, you know, anything to, to you know, um, numb that feeling of, of things not being enough. And when Jamie showed me Waiapa and I started to really develop this sense of, you know, belonging um, and purpose um, of looking after Mother Earth, that's when I knew that, you know, I, I wanted to really share that um, with other people so that they could also feel that sense of belonging and purpose so that, you know, it doesn't matter wherever I am these days, I can always just, you know, even, you know, if we were in a, um, you know, locked up as we have been, um, but even locked up in around, you know, concrete walls. Um, and we do deliver WIAPA in the prisons, Um and it's about knowing how you can tap into that connection with Mother Earth, no matter where you are, and feel that presence and that that deep connection so that you're always feeling supported and held by her. Um, and when you start having those feelings, it just changes your whole life because you don't need to go out and, you know, do everything else that I was doing that was a really unhealthy way of connecting. I could, you know, do a really healthy way of connecting well it sounds like a uh, a silver bullet for for well-being <laughs> which is fantastic you must have been absolutely delighted because i do think this idea that you know a lot of people certainly are searching and the void is fascinating i think um I can certainly uh, identify with that in periods of my life. And uh, I don't know, do you think that, you know, you've come this far in spite of your challenges or because of your challenges? I'm a firm believer in that everything happens to us for reasons and that there's lessons in everything. So I'm sure that, um, you know, I do... Um, give thanks to all of my teachers 
um, in life and, um, and, you know, understanding, I guess, everything about, you know, connection to Mother Earth and understanding that, you know, um, that everything does happen for a reason and that, you know, nothing's really a coincidence. Um, I definitely think that all of it is added up to that, that time that I was able, you know, I do feel that WAPA was gifted um, to me from the ancestors to be able to see it um, and know that I would be able to then, you know, know how to package it up and say, yep, we're going to take this and we're going to um, make it into a modality to be able to share it, to know that we needed to get it certified by, you know, an international institute, um, you know, for that recognised alternative therapies um, and to, you know, to be able to put this, you know, language around it to be able to share that. So I do b- firmly believe that I was very privileged and honoured to be to be gifted WIAPA, um, you know, and to, you know, to be able to share the, the knowledge um, that Jamie has, um, you know, that he has as a, a Aboriginal person. Yeah. I mean, that process of kind of, of having the elders effectively mentor you, Jamie, that's quite, did you realise at the time that this was a very special place in the world to, to be? No, look, it was one of those things. I've always been close to nature as a kid and, um, I was removed from my community for a few years uh, through a through a process, and always really wanted to get back involved and, and learn the old ways. And I used to humbug the elders a lot to teach me to teach me. And a lot of elders were like, "Oh, you know, because of what's happened here, we can't remember all of it. You know, I only know a little bit of it." So I, I sort of travelled around Australia a little bit and met other elders from other areas. And I was always one to sit and listen because I understood the, the purpose of, of learning to share it. And I spent the last 27 years in the service of others in attaining the knowledge to pass it on um, from a very early age, from 20 years old. Um, you know, I, I've been in the service of others and I really haven't even, the last 12 months is the first real time that I've actually stopped and sat for myself and and, and connected to these all this knowledge that the elders have given me because the last 27 years I've always been, I've got to pass it on, I've got to pass it on, I've got to pass it on. And I never really got the opportunity to actually appreciate and ground myself in all the knowledge that was passed on and shared to me. And um, so even in my own healing journey, um, you know, it, it, again, it's sometimes you, you can't see the forest because of the trees. And so you're running through the forest looking for the trees and they're already there, but you're still running. And, you know, the last 12 months, even though we had the, the modality up and developed and stuff, I was still, you know, still in the service of others. And it was, you know, a really good opportunity for me to stop last 12 months and just breathe and then just reflect on the knowledge and connect back to the elders, not because I wanted to... You know, I'll still always pass on that knowledge, but for, for, for once I'm actually saying, you know what, I'm going to spend a bit of time to drink this big cool cup of culture for myself and not share it for a bit until I I feel like, you know, I'm ready to go again and recharge and that. So, you know, I'm very lucky that I still have a few of those elders still alive and it's like, you know, any any community that has elders, you know, when an elder dies, there goes a part of a library, you know, there are a lot of stories there. So making sure that you spend that time and ring them up and sit with them and it's a lot difficult more with COVID but ringing them up and stuff like that. 
is has been a really big part. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the next few years while they're still in their twilights to just go and sit with them again and, and just sit with them and just listen and have the stories retold again to have it all affirmed. And, you know, when, when I first, first started to do Way Up, I used to, or still do, but I was teaching traditional Aboriginal dance to a group of kids in the community and one day they just, you know, I drove around for an hour in a bus picking them all up from all over town and brought them to the local uh, meeting place. And you know, one of my elders was there, Uncle Rob, and, you know, the kids got out of the bus and I'd had a big day already at work. I was burnt out, you know, in the service of others and here I have to start teaching dance and they just all ran, ran off. They all ran away, yeah, play football, kicking the ball. And I lost it. I, I, I lost my mind and started screaming and yelling, real angry. And my uncle said, hey, yeah, you need to calm down and just connect in and remind yourself why you're here. And so I breathed through that situation, got the kids to come back and take their shoes off. And usually traditional dance is a lot of really, you know, up, vibrant movement and stuff like that. And I said, no, 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 you're going to stand still and you're going to connect into Mother Earth and I'm going to I'm going to tell you a story, all right? So all the dancers have stories attached to them. So I told them the story about creation, about observing and honouring. And then that was just a visualisation. And someone said to me later on, oh, what you did then was a narrative meditation. I said, no, I just told them a story. Like, you know, and then and then after that 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 narrative meditation, them, them, them boys, they danced the best dance practice probably they've ever done because they were just centred and grounded because they'd been off in Western society so much. So the next week I started to say, right, we're going to put some movements, but we're going to stand still and put some movements to these elements to connect us in. Then all of a sudden this 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 whole idea, this, this whole practice of what Sarah calls modality started to form where it looked, I suppose, a little bit like Tai Chi and Qigong and all that stuff, but I, I'd never done any of that. I was just putting together the essence of our culture to a movement to connect these kids back in to let them understand that their roles, responsibilities and purpose was so over those years, it just got, you know, refined and honed and the stories got put together. And then all of a sudden when I met Sarah, I sort of had it on the back burner for a while and I showed her. I mean, she never said nothing because she was speechless. I thought she just had did no interest in it at all. I was about to walk out of the room and say, well, that's all I got. I've got nothing else. Um, you know, it really come to fruition that everything, you know, and then having conversations with the elders, an important part and process of, you know, making sure that what we were doing wasn't being, you know, disrespectful to culture. And like I said, it's it's an earth connection practice first and foremost. Um, so when a non-Aboriginal person does it or from somewhere else, they only share what they can share from what they've been taught. It's about observing and honouring the, the seasons and the cycles. So when the elders were like, no, this is exactly what the world needs, it needs a, a, a practice that reconnects them back to their responsibility and purpose as human beings. And, you know, how, how what a greater stage or platform to honour one of the oldest continuing cultures, but also honouring all other ancient cultures that did it, which everybody descends from. It's a great way to have an, an even platform to say, no one's better than anybody. We're all humans breathing the same air, drinking the same water, eating the same food from the same soil. So we all need to get back to that that common cause of humanity. So, you know, it got so much, just got so much bigger just out of a very small concept. And it's not, it's just a remembering. It's a remembering of that purpose and practice that we just need to all get back to. And, um, you know, and there are challenges in a modern world. We've got all these different influences and all these different, you know, things that are, you know, materialism and, you know, I've got to have this and all this. 
WIAPA doesn't say that you have to be a cloud-floating, sun-gazing, eco-god or goddess. It just says just, just be mindful that you as a human being are having an impact on the environment with everything that you do. Don't beat yourself up over it, but just, just do with awareness your daily life knowing that you do have that, that impact from the things that you do to the things how you encourage and help others to get knowledge and attain better ways of, of being for themselves, for the planet, and for generations to come. So we take a very non-judgmental approach to how people are sustainable because everyone's at different stages. So, you know, it's it's a tool packaged up beautifully in an amazing template that Sarah put together that we can actually share that with humanity again. Yeah, very powerful because... I don't know, it strikes me you've kind of woven in a narrative of, um, I don't know, maybe so many of the different skills that you tried, Sarah. So obviously you've got the meditative practice, you've got, you've got the song, you've got the narrative, the storytelling. The storytelling is some kind of meditative practice. I don't know, you, you must be um, weaving your, your magic with your, your silver tongue, JB. I can just see you by the campfire, waxing <laughs> lyrical with the ancestors and uh, channeling the elders. So let's just talk about these elements because you've set out 14 elements and actually the process that you go through acknowledges all of those elements. And then you have these different practices, whether they be a, a mindful practice or, or some type of a movement practice. Just Talk us through what it feels like to actually practice Wayapa. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm very lucky that I've been shown dance, traditional dance and ceremony. So to be able to go out into the bush and do that with my elders and with my community is, is one of the most amazing earth connection and people connection practices because you know, it's a lot different than going to a nightclub and doof music and having a few shots and dancing that way. This way you go there and you have a cup of tea and you put Mother Earth, the ochre on your body, you know, you strip down to the bare essentials and, you know, you do those dancing and chanting and things like that. So, and that movement and that feeling of connectivity as you dance barefoot on the, on the, on the earth is amazing. But obviously we can't do that every day. So for me, having the grounded practice of Wayapa and actually practicing that every day for, for any time from between 10 minutes to 25 minutes to 30 minutes, depending on how I'm feeling and how much time, you know, I'm needing to do that. Um, you know, if I'm having a gym session, I might do a quick eight, 10 minute practice just to go through the 14 elements warm my body up or I might go, no, I need to really slow down, I'm a bit stressed out and I'll just go through the 14 elements ultra slow up to 30, 40 minutes if you do it in reverse as well. So, you know, it's it's something that for me, uh, the more, especially in the last 12 months, as I keep saying, referring back to that, actually do it just for me. Not, I'm not necessarily in the service, even though we, we teach it via Zoom and, you know, before COVID we're doing it face-to-face. I've had a bit of a chance to actually just go, yeah, this is actually pretty good, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it is really good. So, um, you know, for me to be able to have that little bit of time to to breathe through it and connect to it, it's been been great for me. Yeah, and and I think that the it's really about um, because it is brand new, even though it's based on a hundred thousand years of of knowledge and wisdom, um, it's a brand new modality. So. 
for us, it wasn't, it's the concepts of Waiapa that's so important. Um, it's understanding why earth connection is so important. It's understanding why being an earth custodian is so important. It's understanding the ancient wellness, um, you know, that people, uh, Indigenous cultures all over the world practice and why they were so well for such a long period of time. So understanding all of those things is really important to get the full benefits of the practice. So those are the things that we talk about in our workshops. Um, and then we start, you know, doing the actual practice, which you can do as, as a visualization, or you can do as the 14 elements, which is a movement meditation, because we talk about um, it, you know, rather than sort of focusing on like yoga, you focus on the postures, right? So the postures have got to just be right to give you the benefit. Whereas with Waiapa, it's actually understanding that connection. And you're, when you do the 14 elements and you do the movements, you actually become those elements. So you become the sun or you become the moon or you connect into to being uh, the land, land animal or, you know, being the wind or the rain. So it's that really deep honoring practice of all of the things that create our environment. I had, a, I had a lady he'd come up after a one-hour introduction session and she come up and she goes, oh, my God, brother, we've just got it all wrong, haven't we? And I said, oh, what do you mean, sis? And she goes, well, I'm from India and I teach my yoga from my village, which is 850 years old, but we spend so much time reverencing universal energy, we don't actually spend enough time reverencing the energy of the earth, but not just what we take but what we should be given back so that reciprocity and through that narrative of conversation, even she acknowledged that her ancient 850-year-old yoga practice wasn't really focusing on that and that whole concept of we need to be doing that more and more. So, you know, giving that back to people to say, yes, meditation is good, movement's great for us, but we do that because we want people to be connected to the environment. They're more aware and open to what's happening so that they make the decisions and changes in their lives and not putting blame on others, you know. It's like, oh, we blame the government. But I say, well, but who votes for the government? Oh, but let's blame the big corporations. And I go, yeah, but who buys the big corporations' products? You know, like, oh, no, but my neighbour up the road has got this and that. Yeah, but that's him. What are you doing? You know, like... It's about saying, taking that personal responsibility so that from that one person making that collective narrative and change and that ripple effect that goes out. And, you know, there's 8 billion people in the world and it's so unbalanced at the moment. So it's about not everybody having to run from destroying the planet to living off, you know, a glass of water and a, you know, lentil burger every day. It's about if we can get the 8 billion people into the middle that's like that, yeah, it'll even out. They don't have to go all the way to the left. And I think that that's where, you know, that's what I try and explain to people. I, like I said, I'm, I'm no cloud-floating eco person, but I'm a lot better than I was, you know. Here I was going out in the bush, you know, seven, eight years ago doing big robberies, coming into town because I come from poverty. As soon as I got some money, what did I do? Buy all these suits I didn't wear like Don Johnson out of Miami Vice, I bought all these perfumes that I didn't even really like the smell of, all these gold chains, all these shoes, and I was like, my ancestors never did that. They never had this over, 
you know, all these clothes and that. Like they have one possum skin cloak, coat. That's all they had. Like they didn't need five different possum skin cloaks for each for the day or anything. So even myself, who I thought was earth connected, wasn't really because I wasn't actually doing it in my daily practice. So when I started to, you know, Sarah and I started to research everything that we purchased or bought, you know, clothing companies, you know, what clothing companies are good for the planet? I don't know. Let's find an app that shows us. Oh, they're not good. I like those clothes though. Well, can't buy your clothes. Write an email. Sorry, guys, not buying your clothes because you're destroying the planet. You know, again, we got to take that personal responsibility. So, you know, for me, it was that whole getting people to understand that you don't have to give up everything. Just be mindful of, of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Do you need the latest phone? Why? Why do you need the latest phone? Just put yourself through a few gates before you get it, as opposed to going, oh, my neighbor's got one, I need one. It's like, well, do you? Probably not, you know? So I think that's why people love the modality because it's got this steep, ancient connection through meditation and movement and all that, but then it's got this modern concept of going, oh, well, I don't have to be a, you know, a cloud floating God to be sustainable. I just need to be mindful of all my choices and make those incremental decisions and people go, wow, I feel, I feel so much better because I'm eating cleaner because it's better for the planet, but it's better for me. So all those narratives are weaving through the, the modality. Yeah, I can see now it really how it affected you, Sarah, because, you know, I, th- I think when you look at life through a different lens, then it can only but change everything. And uh, in some ways, when you said, well, it changed everything. Well, how can it change everything? Really everything. <laughs> but uh, as Jamie's just describing this kind of just a fundamental way, you know, it's a way, it's a way. And what I, what I really loved about um, some of the things that uh, you just sent me in the, in, in, uh, in the pre-interview uh, notes, fascinating sentence that um, why up challenges our thinking it also asks us to think about intergenerational well-being rather than just our own it asks us to take action every day to create a wiper lifestyle that looks after the planet and then this is the killer this is a harder sell than someone simply pulling on yoga pants or doing meditation and in a world where we are obsessed with the quick fix and just something to take the pain away i think this is a really fascinating uh, just call out, you know, it's not just about doing yoga. It's not just about meditating. You actually have to integrate it and give something back to the planet because otherwise this concept of sharing that energy uh, somehow just goes to waste. Um, so with that, you've obviously written a chapter now in a new book called Silver Linings. You were a contributor um, you're trying to get this movement out there. Tell us what's happening, what's happening in, in, in your plans to actually take this to the world and, and how are you using digital to, to help you achieve that? And tell us about yeah. the it, Well, the book actually talks about that, interestingly enough. Um, so we were... Um, invited to be contributing authors uh, to a book called Silver Linings, which was talking about all of the good things that were coming out of the global pandemic that was, you know, impacting so hugely on the the world. And um, 
And for us, it was exciting to be asked because it was, you know, first time authors, which was pretty cool. <laughs> I never wrote a there again. <laughs> It's the way it works. He's oral culture. I'm. I'm. Uh, I tell her what I want. You know. <laughs> <laughs> we never um, write stuff down for hundred thousand years. Don't ask me to write something down now. I'm the interpreter. I'm the tra- the tra- the, the um, I was going to say the um, the translator. But, uh, anyways, I I do the writing, and um, it was when we came to write this book. It was something that you know we knew straight away what our silver lining was because we had been witnessing um, the miraculous recovery um, by Mother Earth of, um, of the you know how she regenerated so quickly. Um, you know it was you know for all of us it's mind blowing that the world has been shut down um, without a doubt, but to see by taking all of us and putting us in hibernation in our own homes for a couple of months, the way Mother Nature has been able to recover and regenerate has been mind-blowing, even for those of us who are connected in, um, you know, to, to the world and, and into Mother Nature, to see, the, you know, the skies, the smog, um, you know, the smog-filled cities, clear so quickly or the dolphins you know swimming in the venice canals or you know to see the sand dunes reclaiming the highways in dubai you know all of these phenomenal events that have been beamed into our homes as we've been hibernating um but even just you know in for us over in australia to you know even in our backyard we could see monarch butterflies. I haven't seen a monarch butterfly since I left since I left Canada um, in 1982. So to have a monarch butterfly flying around in our backyard to us was a massive sign of of just how when uh, Mother Nature's most demanding species, because we are just one species of Mother Nature's, um, but when the human species is put put in their houses and told to hibernate for a couple of months. It was amazing how quickly she was able to regenerate. But it also taught us a, a lot of different lessons. It taught us about the resilience. It taught us about being resourceful, um, of saying, yep, sometimes, you know, phenomenal change is going to happen and you have to pick yourself up and work out how you're going to, you know, pivot um, in the world and, and adapt. And for us where Earth Connection was such an important thing, you know, we we often preached about disconnecting from technology uh, because we'd all become so connected to our iPhones and to, you know, to TV or to our laptops and games and everything else. We keep, um, you know, preaching about, no, no, you've got to disconnect from all this technology and reconnect back into um, into the, the natural surroundings. So for us, when we realised that we weren't going to be able to keep going out and sharing WAPA in a personal sense, we're like, oh, my goodness, this means we're going to actually have to use technology for good. And um, and we, we adapted and we said, okay, well, maybe if all of us start using technology in a really positive way, it would give Mother Earth a bit of time to rest and recuperate so that we weren't traveling all over the place all the time. And for us personally, we're like, well, let's start looking at things like Zoom 
um, and delivering WAPA sessions via Zoom and, and via, you know, when we're teaching our practitioners, delivering diploma courses. And that's when, you know, I started looking around and um, I, you know, it was the, during the time that uh, London Real were getting a bit of, uh, um, a bit of publicity um, around the COVID time with David Icke and free speech. And um, it came into me and it was like, yeah, you know, maybe um, um, Brian Rose can, you know, teach me a few things about creating a, di- a successful digital business. So that's when we, you know, I signed up for the course and um, to start learning a bit more about how to, to pivot more into the, the digital space. And I, I didn't really understand in the very early days the, I use this word, I don't know if it's a real word, don't play Scrabble with me, but the potentiality of the whole modality, um, you know, some friends or some 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 friends give us a link to a, an IP lawyer about getting it IP'd and getting a business plan looked at. And he got, they said, don't muck around with this guy. He's had 40 years experience. He charges out $2,000 an hour. He's giving you a free half hour go in there, sit down with him and show him what you got. So we did that. This is in the very early days. And, you know, Sarah always talked about how big it could be, but I was like, oh, no, you know, I'll just teach it to kids in kindergartens and schools. And, you know, when he saw it, he was, he was, he said, I've been doing IP for 40 years, and he said was blown off. He said, this is massive. He said, I could see this glowing, going global, and I could see you teaching it to Oprah and Deepak. Like he said, it's massive. He said, but... You've got to do the work to to get it out there because people don't know what they don't know. They know about Tai Chi, Qigong and yoga, but they don't know about Wayapa, not yet. So the whole idea of it is to, you know, raise out the awareness. So having yarns to you and your billions of followers on, on your, <laughs> your podcast. Um, and, and wherever, I'll go and talk about it down the supermarket with people, like just to have the conversation, you know. So people go, oh, yeah, Wayapa, yeah, right, okay. So it starts to... Put two and two together. Wayapa is about personal well-being, earth well-being, and intergenerational well-being, and it's, that just brings in a whole different way of connection. So, you know, I, I you know, Sarah went then and actually got it IP'd and protected in um, most of the other major continents. So, you know, if someone in England wants to become a practitioner, they can, and they've got, you know, insurance and they've set she set it all up absolutely professionally, no backyard dodgy stuff, and. Um, you know, so, you know, the whole idea is to eventually get it, you know. Um, seven years ago, a really dear friend, he said, don't worry about the community, you know, take Wiper overseas, take it to California, make your money, then come home. I wish I had listened to him seven years ago. But anyway, <laughs> we're here and um, <laughs> we're looking we're forward to going to California when, the, when the, the things lift, get someone to babysit the dog, get my daughter to babysit the dog and we're going to California <laughs> and we're going to teach it to everyone that wants to learn about it. So, but, but yeah. yeah. I think that the digital uh, digital platform provides a tool to be able to scale it up, to be able to share with more people. But then the idea is that they then practice it. You know, we can create more practitioners all over the world and then they go and practice it with their local practitioner. Yeah, I can see that digital allows you to just distribute this in such a scalable way. Um, I guess it doesn't quite translate to running around the, the bush partly clothed with, uh, with clay all over your face. Um, but, uh, but you can always do that at home in your backyard. It strikes me 
if, if, I, if I was out there connecting to Mother Earth and celebrating the sun, the moon, and the rain, the uh, neighbors would once again be thinking, what the hell is Ralph doing out there? But uh, now I can tell them. <laughs> putting it on YouTube, getting a million hits. I'm way up and working. Well, so, I guess, I guess. That's it. That's all you got to say. Get out of jail free card. You can run around naked, crazy, paint it up. I'm well for working. working. Judge goes out, case dismissed, go home. <laughs> Jamie yeah, I think, yeah, Jamie told me to do it. I think you're right. I think technology will help us scale it up. But nothing, like you said just then, Ralph, nothing beats the face-to-face stuff. So, you know, we, we're, we've got visions of, you know, creating a wellness space, you know, deep in the bush where we can bring people in and give them all those experiences but then encourage other people to do that around the world, whether it's in the Amazon rainforest or the, you know, Stonehenge or if you're allowed to do it there, I don't know, but <laughs> wherever. <laughs> here, here, I'm just doing it at Stonehenge right in the middle, up on top of the rock. Jamie said so. On the rock there doing that there. And <laughs> yeah, that's not happening anymore. Um, you'd have to sneak in there, but it's possible. Uh, well, well, some traditional owners there, they might give me some permission to do some cultural exchanging where I come over and do WAP on the stones. Well, you know, that was where my ancestors were from. Well, there you go. It's fine. So I think that there is all these different levels of connectivity and I think that obviously the end game and um, there's a, there's a, 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 you know, I I, I like occasionally watching a few movies here and then and look to the, you know, like Matrix is a documentary and Avatar is a documentary and, you know, um, there was a a current video game that come out called um, Ready, Ready Player One. It's about living in that online game. But when he won the game, he actually went, you know what? I'm going to pull the plug for two nights a week where no one's living in this game and everyone's going to go and connect with each other and connect with nature. And I think that that's where we're heading as 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 humans. That There's that T-shirt you see based on that scientific thing where, where we're chimpanzees and we walk upright and then we've got a stone tool and then we've got a laptop and then he goes, nah, shit, we've stuffed it up, we've got to go back. I think we're getting to that point where we have to go back a few a few generate, you know. So I'm hoping that Waiapa will help people understand that, you know, we've got to go back a little bit in our thinking to go forward. Because, you know, one of the things that when I say to people, we all stand here with the luxury that our ancestors look after this place for 100,000 plus years. If humans have been here in Homo sapiens sapien form, all of our ancestors have been here the same amount of time on this planet, yeah? So we are the beneficiaries of them looking after this place. You know, the greatest and the most important honour you can do is to look after this place for the next 100,000 generations that are going to descend after us. It does not look great at the moment, but I just think that it's not too late. Don't chuck the baby out with the bathwater. Don't go looking to Mars. We don't have to go there yet. Let's just, let's just make a few adjustments as human beings and we'll be okay. You know, be a lot smarter. So I think that that narrative within WAPA helps people go, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can think about that and I can relate to that because you're right, gee, I do have ancestors that are as old as yours are on this planet. And, yeah, I've got kids, I've got grandkids. Yeah, eventually I want to have, you know, I want to be the descendant of a great, 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 grandkid. We look back and go, oh, yeah, my parents did WAPA with this crazy follower and this woman just done all his writing and... You know, that's the pivotal point. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But, it's you know, it's exciting times. Well, what's important is that you've created a point of convergence where you've pulled all of that ancient knowledge as it still is available and you've made it available to people. So, you know, th- this, is, this is really the key thing and it's a very powerful role to play because you're the 
<laughs> you know, you, you're, you're the Uber elder right now for a modern time. And, uh, I'm struggling and, to get an Uber. I'm struggling <laughs> to freaking order an Uber. I don't know about I'm the Uber element. I'm just, I, I'm just an egghead. I'm just an egghead. He's trying to find his way in the world like everybody else. And I want to let everyone else know that I struggle as much as they do, but I'm trying my darndest to make, you know, the appropriate corrections in my life to, to benefit generations to come. That's, that's how I like to see myself. I'm not no cloud floating fellow. I'm, I'm yeah, you're no cloud. You're no cloud floating god. Um, although uh, with that silver beard, you 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 definitely strike a great pose. So <laughs> it's chrome. I, I call it chrome. It's chrome. <laughs> I'm like a Harley Harley Davidson, bros. Harley tuned and chromed up. So <laughs> <laughs> the silver fox. So uh, you've got the silver lining, you've got the silver fox. Uh, I'm the silverback gorilla. <laughs> she reckon I've got more hair on my back than a gorilla, so I'm the silverback gorilla. That's too much information there. I said back, <laughs> not bum. I meant back, yeah. Anyway. Oh, we're, we're, anyway, there you, you go. There's a little bit of visualisation for your listeners there, brother. Sarah knows what to get. Edit that part. Next question. Before we wrap it up, it's been late. <laughs> 14-year-old self, if you had to go back and give your 14-year-old self some advice. I ask this because I have a 14-year-old son. Uh, and a lot of the things that you described about, you know, can we disconnect from tech and can we connect to something else? You went into m- nature, you know, when you were facing your problems, Jamie. So around the age of 12, I have a son, uh, normal teenager, and you kind of look at this and go, oh, how can you connect more with nature when there is just so much connection online? You know, whether it's a YouTube video or some gamer that they're watching or their friends or social media. How do you get a 14-year-old engaged? What would you have said to yourself? Oh, I was very lucky, Ralph, that technology wasn't massive when I was a kid. Probably was very, we probably just had TVs and not everyone had telephones in their house. So, you know, I've spent the last 28 years taking teenagers out into the bush. And as technology's crept into these generations in that 28 years, I've seen the anxiety that causes when I go, we're going bush and you're not taking your phones or your games. And the anxiety that it causes, but it only lasts until you light a bush, until you light a fire, not a bushfire. It only lasts until you light a fire. Let's get that right, guys. No, no Let's get that right. No bushfires. And it only lasts as long as to, as to when the when the when the sun sets and the, the firelight happens and you're cooking a feed or you're making some 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 flour and water damper on the fire and you start telling stories and talking that you just see that whole thing awash from them and you spend the next three four or five days immersed in nature without technology and. When they go home, some of them will jump straight back on it. Some of them might touch it. They just want to talk and connect to their families. Then the next day or two, they might get back into it, you know. But it's about showing them and giving them another way. And it's the same as with people, you know, taking anyone out in the bush and saying, right, no technology. Oh, but I need – no, you don't. You need to set up everything to let everyone know where you're going, where you're going to be, you know. Look, we'll have one point of contact if that's needed, but I say you go back 30 years ago and we never had it. People still did it. Don't stress about it. It's okay. And once they get out there in nature, they just forget about it and they just connect into 
the, the interaction with each other. They're connecting to, oh, look at the sun, look at the dappled light. Oh, look, there's some rain clouds. Look at those birds. What are those birds? I can hear those birds. And you start giving them all that knowledge and then all of a sudden they just go, Pfft. and that's that's what we want people to do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's when you start being, you know, when you bring in that mindfulness of what all of those things do for us personally, you know, to know that, you know, the wind, you know, is creating, um, you know, food because it spreads the pollination in the seeds. You know, when you start looking at all of the different things that the elements do for us um, and you start being grateful for that fresh water and you start being grateful for that clean air where you don't have to wear a mask, you know, when you start being grateful for everything it does to sustain us and you start feeling that deep connection because you start caring about what it does for you, um, then I think that that's when you start then also feeling that deep belonging. And I know when I was growing up, I never felt like I fitted in anywhere. And if I had... um, if I had WIAPA back then of knowing that, you know, I could go and sit under a tree and have that grandmother tree hold me and be my companion because it is that grandmother, then I think that I would be, you know, probably wouldn't have gone through a lot of the stuff that I went through in trying to find that connection through false means. Um, but, yeah, I think it's that, you know, that it is understanding that deep gratitude um, for everything that it gives to us, that, that deep connection that's so important um, for kids to learn these days. And I think that, I think in many ways, Mother Nature has played a huge part in this pandemic. You know, she understands, she understood that all of us as her children um, needed time out, um, they, that we needed to, to rest, um, not be doing a zillion things all at once. And we needed time to really connect with our with our families and, you know, spend that time in the same house, actually maybe speaking to each other <laughs> um, and, you know, connecting in, in that, you know, sort of deep way and being taken, not being allowed outside. I know I've seen so many kids who've gone, oh, wait a minute, now it's taken, been taken away from me. I actually want that because they're not taking it for granted as much. Yeah. Um, and, and telling 14-year-old kids that Steve Jobs didn't allow any of his kids to have technology in the house. He wanted his kids to go and play in the Redwoods, the California Redwoods. So Steve Jobs' kids never had technology. So he, he knew the distractions it was going to cause. And I'd say to a 14-year-old kid, let's sit down and watch Ready Player One. Let's, what's, what's the message at the end? Disconnect from that and connect to this and Mother Earth. So... There's a little bit of a tip from Uncle Jamie, 14-year-old. <laughs> Those two things. Well, what I heard is Jamie saying, go and make fires. And what I heard was Sarah saying, find a deep connection. <laughs> Not bushfires. So let's no. keep no, I, I think that's amazing. And uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of salvation, if you like for children out in the natural environment. And there's this real kind of idea of also coming of age, which I think uh, you do beautifully in, in uh, certainly, the, you know, m- many of the in- indigenous um, 
peoples have coming of age practices. Certainly in South Africa, we've got uh, some some really interesting experiences where the boys have to go out into the bush for a, for a week. They get circumcised. Uh, they get their paint faces painted white, and they have to exist out there. And you know, it's the process of becoming a man. I'm not entirely sure that it's. it's I, I probably prefer one of your uh, ceremonies myself, uh, Jamie. But um, yeah, the the ones that we do modern way a lot more gentler. We used to do all that stuff as well, but it was more like nine, twelve months out in the bush, not one week. So then, modern in Africa got it off lightly, but but we parts of Australia did those cutting ceremonies. Thankfully, this part never. Um, thankfully. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I think that definitely, you know, all ancient cultures had those concepts and understanding why. I remember when I had an adopted mum up in Alice Springs when I was living in Central Australia, and we we're talking about initiation ceremonies and that. I said, "Why do why do boys have them but girls don't?" And she goes, "Because you need to be taught common sense, and that's why it takes a long time." And it's true. Like that was a very very simplistic way of breaking down the difference between men and women, boys and girls, male and female, and that, that men need to be taught common sense, but women are already born with it. They just they just going to write a passage. It's like it is gliding through from one stage to another, where boys are going to be right here. Come here. <laughs> And here, do this. So I have to, like, right, we're going to teach you how to be men all this time. So, you know, that, I think ancient cultures all around the world had similar similar practices in that regard from a male and female perspective. But again, it's in tune with nature, right? Because when you're ready, recognizing the cycles of of where we're going through in our, you know, in our bodies, you know, and I think that that we've been disconnected from that knowledge as well of of how important. You know, ceremonies are and rituals are and, um, you know, all of those things that honoured um, that. So for us, we, we actually honour um, the sun cycles. So we don't, we don't really, um, we haven't for a long time um, celebrated Christmas as such because for us it's honouring the summer solstice. So it's honouring, you know, everything that the summer solstice, solstice gives us in, in that harvest. Um, and, and then, you know, honouring the June. So we just recently had the, the winter solstice here in Australia because we're, you know, reversed out. But, and we went down uh, for the winter solstice, we went down to Jamie's country um, in southwest Victoria and the whales come in and start um, birthing at that time of the year. So we did a well ceremony uh, honouring the the winter solstice and the whales instead, you know, of, you know, other, you know, Christianised religious ceremonies because for that, you know, for for us personally, that doesn't, you know, we're not religious. So we honour Mother Nature as our... our, um, We're dirty pagans. (laughs) But that's. But I think that all of those cycles and those rituals and those ceremonies, you know, are things that we've really disconnected from, and we need to get back in tune with because that would help us live our life so much better. You know, even things like, you know, really understanding death, understanding birth, you know, and rebirthing, and um, you know, for me, I, I lost my dad last year. And I don't, I think I would have been a mess without Waiapa 
because it just helped me so much in, in the grieving process because I honored the cycle of his life and honored that, you know, he was, he needed to leave, um, you know, but only in physical form. He's, you know, still there in energetic form. But honoring that as a cycle and saying that's okay, you know, it's okay, um, you know, death is a part of living. Um, you know, so I think that all of those, uh, when you start really connecting in to observing nature in those sorts of ways, it just gives so much more depth and meaning to our everyday lives. Um, and it celebrates those those small things. Yeah. And even like in Australia, this, this year we had those massive bushfires that, you know, there's so much de- de- devastation and death in that, but there's still rebirthing in that. Like things come back and regrow, and you know, I think of Chernobyl. Chernobyl, for example, you know, Mother Mother Nature is rebalancing that whole place out. You know, um, you know, rehealing herself. You know, so again, you know, looking at those old ways of understanding. So also, and I always talk about. I was reading a story about the Inuit people. How when you were close to dying, they throw a big party for you, and then they wheel you out into the ice we'd freeze and a polar bear would come and eat you and then the family would go and hunt the polar bear. So the whole circle of life, you know, of the celebration of when you're born but also when you're passing, I wouldn't like it. Hey, we're at a party for you. <laughs> no, I don't want to party. I don't want to party. I'm right. I'm, I'm 75. I don't want to party next year. <laughs> it starts to wheel you out. <laughs> polar bears start panicking. <laughs> but, again, though, that whole comp- – comprehension of don't mourn it celebrate it and celebrate the person's life while they're alive you know that's amazing but yeah probably not for me but (laughs) just snuff me out and don't tell me i think you're okay i I haven't seen any polar bears around uh, australia lately so drop bears we have drop bears big fangs (laughs) (laughs) i think think you'd probably scare the bear to be honest you'd be running the other way so um I think you guys have got a uh, an amazing platform and it sounds like things really are just starting to, to get going. If people want to collaborate with you, if they want to participate, if they want to come and do your diploma, if they want to come and find you and run around the bush and uh, and get wild for a few days, you know, how can they engage? Yeah, definitely. Probably our website's the easiest way, is um, which is yapa.com. So W-A-Y-A-P-A dot com. And uh, they can jump on there and send us an email. Or we also, uh, they can follow us, Wiapa Work, uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Or we also have a YouTube channel. Um, basically. 350 subscribers. Yay. <laughs> Massive. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I was going to say, go to the White Cliffs of Dover, put a message in a bottle, <laughs> throw it off, and I'll wait for it to turn up on the beach down the road. And then I'll, I'll throw it back in. I'll write on it, throw it back in. But yeah, or, or faster way, Google, Google, <laughs> Google, Wiper work, Wiper dot com, and you'll you'll get us somehow. Yeah, and it's uh, it's work with a W U U R K. So two R's, two R's Ralph. What are, hold on, two U's, two R's. Two U's and two R's. Okay, it's going to be in the notes anyway. But it's not work <laughs> as in work. It's it, this is a special word, 
when you see it means the earth. It means earth. Yeah. It means earth. So it's, it's it's quite it's quite amazing play on words that you actually have to do the work to look after the planet, but Wapawurik means to connect to the earth. So, you know, again, that's Magonai language, work means earth. So, yeah, you have to be, you have to work it, be the worker um, to, to look after the work. Let it work for you. Let it work for you. We've got a whole brand of T-shirts coming out. It's working, it's working. But I love the way it's you working. say work because it's not actually work, you say work. work. Yes. Work. Yeah, work. I, I can't roll my arms, so I just do work. <laughs> Well, listen, guys, it's been absolutely uh, fantastic having you on the episode. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and so much of that personal story I'm sure is going to resonate with plenty of people. And uh, the cause seems to be of the highest order. So uh, I can't wait to see what happens next and where you take it. We wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks so thanks, much, Ralph. It's been lovely having a chat to you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for giving us the opportunity. Well, this is the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Benker. We'll see you on the edge.